Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from, and he was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pain, but we in turn regarded him stricken down by God and afflicted. He was wounded because of our transgressions and crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. We all went astray like sheep and we all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him and for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord, Yahweh, was pleased to crush him. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied how he would die. He would die on a cross. He would die shedding his blood. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It is only through a sacrifice that we can be saved, that someone else had to pay a price for us. We cannot be saved by good works. We cannot be saved by baptism or by church membership. We cannot be saved because we're better than other people. We can only be saved one way, by the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus. And I want to invite you right now, if you have never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have never had a moment in your life that you can nail down and say, I know there was a day when I realized that the wages of sin was death, but the gift of God was eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I I know that without Christ that I will die and spend eternity in hell, but he gave his blood for me. He died on a cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. And men despised him and they spat at him and they ridiculed him, but he took that for me. I wonder if today you need to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. If today is the day that you need to move from religion to a relationship. If today is the day that you need to move from something you sing about to something that comes out of you because it is a part of your DNA, that you have changed radically from death to life, from guilt to freedom, from fear to faith, that you have revolutionized the direction of your life because of a life-changing decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask that every head be bowed and every eye closed in this room. And I'm going to ask you right now, I know it could be difficult for you, but I'm going to ask you right now, I don't believe it's by accident that we've sung so much about the blood today. And before we get to the message, 
This is the message. If you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, or if you need to nail this down or you need to settle it once and for all that you know that you need Jesus Christ to save you, that you're not good enough, you can't clean up enough, you can't pretend any longer, and you know that right now you need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to just get up from where you are. People will let you out. If you're in the middle of the row, if you're in the, in the balcony, there'll be a staff member standing over by the exits, and I'm going to ask you to just come to one of them. I'm going to ask you to find one of these men at the front. And if you need to trust Christ today, if you're in the balcony area, there'll be men standing right there. If you're on the floor, there'll be men down here. I just want to take it just a moment. <clears throat> this is the most important decision you will make. What you do, how you live, if you have a personal relationship with Christ. Christians be praying. There are people that need to respond right now to this invitation. They know that they need to have a life-changing decision, that they need to have a new birth, to be born again, to come to a new awareness of what it means to love Jesus and to have the freedom and forgiveness of sin. Are you the one today? Are you one that needs to come and needs to respond to that decision, to that invitation, to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Anybody else that needs to come, anybody else that needs to respond right now, we're waiting for you. You didn't show up in this room by accident today. God put you here today so that you could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God put you in this room today so that you could have a life-changing decision because of Jesus Christ. God has you here for a reason. Don't miss what he wants to do in your life today. God gave his life through his son so that you could have life, so that you could spend eternity with Christ in heaven. God loved you enough. He didn't die because you were good and needed to get better. He died because you were bad and couldn't fix yourself. And he needed to be the one to fix your life and to transform you, not to give you a tune-up, but to give you an overhaul of where you needed to be. Anybody else that needs to respond right now? Christians, continue to pray. Anybody else that needs to come and make a decision, a life-changing decision for Jesus Christ today? The blood is your victory. You're not going to get better. You can't get better. Only God can make you better. Only God can take the junk and transform your life and change you from the inside out. Anybody else need to respond today?
Father, I pray for these five or six people that have gone into a counseling room right now, most of them adult men, that as the counselors lovingly take them through the gospel, that even while we are taking notes and filling in blanks, that there will be life change happening in these lives. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of people. That we are not the ones responsible to do the saving, that it is your Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. And it is your Holy Spirit that sets the captives free. Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus the blood that never loses its power, the blood that cleanses, the blood that seals. I thank you that, Lord Jesus, you were willing to lay down your life, a lamb led to slaughter. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I thank you, Lord Jesus for people that are being saved and coming into a relationship with Christ right now. And I pray that you would seal in their hearts what they have done this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's a verse that we've referred to a lot in this series. This is the last message in the series on how to raise the next generation for Christ. Paul is writing and he says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There are two questions that come to mind. Number one, how can I pass on to others what God has put inside of me? How can I pass on to others? You don't want to live in a vacuum. You don't want to live in a silo. You don't want to live in a, in, a, in a small box. How do you pass on to others what God has invested in you? And secondly, where do you look and how do you look for somebody to mentor you, to invest in you, to teach you the things that they have learned? Now, there are two kinds of mentoring. There's the big brother approach, and there's a, there's a lot of that that happens and can happen in a, in a secular environment is, is the big brother approach of, of taking somebody younger and teaching them. But not only the big brother approach, there's the, the classic approach of mentoring and uh, apprenticing. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. The key is that relationships in a raising the next generation are built around the word of God, that we are connected to the Word of God, that, that we're not building in our ideas or our theories or, or our hunches, but we are investing in this next generation what God's Word has to say to them. And so let's establish the need. Webster defines a mentor as a trusted counselor or a guide. Here, here's the way I like to think of a mentor. A mentor is somebody for me like my favorite uncle, who would support me, but he didn't mind correcting me. You need a mentor who will support you, 
and encourage you, but they're not afraid to correct you because they're not a good mentor if they're not correcting and defining you and shaping you and and cutting the edges off of you uh, so that you are more and more and more in the image of Christ. Now, there are several models. First of all, there's a historical model. This dates back all the way uh, we can find documents to the time of Hammurabi in ancient Babylon where there were mentors, there were apprentices, there were people who taught a trade, and there were, we, we find documentation of composers who taught young musicians, of artists, of stonemasons who taught others their craft. They passed on a trade to them in the medieval times. It, it increased to such a point where if someone was a mentor and they were mentoring someone, that person they were mentoring would actually move in and sleep in their shop or sleep in their home so that day and night they could be investing in them. Now, in the days of the Industrial Revolution and in these days of the Technology Revolution, we just tend to teach curriculum or methods or content, and we forget the personal aspect to mentoring. But the historical method is there throughout all phases of society. It's been there. Then there's the biblical model. The biblical model is not so much teaching a talent or a skill. The biblical model is investing in a person in their character. It is Moses investing in Joshua. It is Eli investing in Samuel. It is Elijah in Elisha. It is Barnabas with John Mark. It is Paul with Timothy. It is building the character of another person, molding the integrity of the heart of another person. That's the biblical model. And every person that you see in the scripture that gives us an example of discipleship and mentoring, their protege went on to make a huge impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then there's the family model. That's found in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 talks about how as, as you go and as you walk by the gates, as you sit in your home, as you walk in the streets, what you're supposed to teach your children. Uh, This goes back to a previous message when we talked about the as-you-go principle. Jesus, as he was going, he was making disciples. It's not so much stopping and doing something as it is an investment in those that are closest to you. It is spending time with them. It is teaching them out of the overflow of your life of what God has taught you out of his word. And so there's the family model. Now, why is this model important? And why is it important that we mentor and disciple people? Here's a good reason. 60% of the American population does not live close to any family. In other words, aunts and uncles, brothers, sisters, mom and dad, grandparents, 60% of Americans live over 500 miles from their close family. So that means whether it's the father that's not there or the grandparents that are not there, the the influential people in the family unit are not there in the formative years and developmental years in the life of a child. And so they see them at Thanksgiving or they see them at Christmas or a couple of times when they come to visit. And, and, and so we, we've lost the impact 
of community and of people living in a place most of their lives, that's kind of gone away, and now we're scattered all over the place. The average American family is moving every two to three years, and so when that begins to happen, there's no sense of being rooted. There's no sense of, of family and of development of a family and of, and of a core unit and of a generation teaching another generation, and so we begin to lose that influence of family members that encourage and direct and guide our children. And so that brings us to the fact that we need those who will model it. You and I need mentors personally. We need people that will come alongside us to help us mentor and disciple our children. We need mentors in the church who will develop the next generation of leaders in the church so that there's not a leadership vacuum in the life of the church. Now, Here's some limitations. First of all, we have people limitations. We have people limitations. I don't know why the iMag's not working, but it's not. So you just got to go with me. We have people limitations. Uh, I cannot lead people longer than they're willing to follow. Uh, you, you just can't lead people longer than they're willing to follow. Secondly, I can't lead people further than they're willing to go. You, you ever seen somebody on a farm trying to pull a stubborn mule. The mule just doesn't want to go. And what does he do? Digs his back legs in and his feet in. And I can't lead somebody further than they're willing to go. If they're pulling against it, then I can't lead them. You can't lead them. You can't lead a person faster than they're willing to change. You can't lead a person faster than they're willing to change. I mean, if they're not willing to keep up, if they're not willing to move, uh, you're going to get bogged down at some point. And then you can't lead people higher than they're willing to climb. If somebody's afraid to get out on the edge, then it's going to be hard to lead them to make a leap of faith. So, so we have people limitations, but we have personal limitations. Here's some of those. Personal limitations. I can't lead somebody to something I'm not doing. I, I can't take somebody someplace I haven't been. I, I cannot lead a person above my level of expertise. So if I'm going to mentor and disciple somebody, I can't take them where I've not been or where I'm not going. I can't lead people where I'm not willing to go. And I can't lead people if I lack a servant heart. And, and so we, we have to understand that there's a difference between average and exceptional. There's a difference between ordinary and extraordinary. It's the word extra. If you're going to be extraordinary, you can't settle for ordinary. If you want to be a leader, if you want to be somebody that makes an impact, if you want to be someone who leaves a legacy, then you can't just do what the crowd is doing. You've got to separate yourself from the pack. You've got to get out of the middle of the pack and out of the middle of the crowd and start doing that which is extraordinary. So let's establish the expectations, and this is really where we're going to land for the next few minutes. And I want to give you 10 questions when you say, and some people will, I'm not qualified. If, if those are the things we've got to do, I'm not qualified. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. 
If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. So here's the question. If you want to raise the next generation, if you want to make an impact on your family, if you want to mentor someone, or if you're looking for who you need to invest your life in, because just because somebody's there and it's convenient doesn't mean that that person is going to receive what you're trying to do. So here are questions for you to ask yourself and for you to ask them. Question number one, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I mean, that's a basic question. Do you love Jesus? Because you can't teach somebody to love Jesus if you don't love Jesus. If you love me, feed my sheep. That's what Jesus said to Simon Peter. So the first question is, do you love Jesus? Do they love Jesus? Are they trying to grow in their love for Jesus? Question number two, do you love people? Do you love people? I've got a friend of mine says, pastoring would be great if you didn't have to put up with people. (laughs) Kind of hard to be a pastor and not have people. I mean, do you love people? I mean, do you, do you enjoy being around people? Do you enjoy spending time with people? Say, well, you don't know my family. Well, okay. Uh, you got anybody else you like to spend time with? Number three, are you growing personally? Are you growing personally? Because if I'm not growing, I can't challenge somebody else to grow. If, I, if I'm stagnant, and stale in my walk with God, I cannot challenge somebody to move beyond that. Now, growing has nothing to do with age. Growing is a maturity word. Are you maturing might be a better way to say that. Are you developing? Are you learning and continuing to learn in your walk with God? Number four, this is a good one. Am I willing to be transparent? Am I willing to be transparent? See, apart from Jesus, none of us are perfect. And only when you're secure in who you are in Christ can you be transparent. And transparency means that, that mentoring is not sitting down and doing all the talking and telling you how great I am for God and all the great things I've done for God. It's also admitting your failures and your fears because the people that you're investing in probably have the same failures and the same fears that you do. It is not, I'm the answer to all things. None of us are the answer to all things. Are you transparent? Here's a good answer. If you're in a mentoring situation and somebody asks you a question, this is a great answer. I don't have a clue, but I'll try to find out. You see, sometimes we think if we're going to disciple or if we're going to teach or if we're going to mentor, we've got to have the answer to everything. Somebody asks us, what is the meaning of the third toe on the right foot of the third horseman of the apocalypse? I don't know. Does it matter? (laughs) What is the right answer. The right answer sometimes is, I don't know. Let's find out together. Let's take a journey together and see what we can learn from this. Are you transparent? Number, well, Bill Hybels has a great quote. The tendency of some people is to romanticize mentoring. In reality, it's a reciprocal process. In a healthy mentoring relationship, each participant learns from the other. Next question. Are you able to affirm and confront? Are you able to affirm 
and confront. You see, you need to be willing to do both. Sometimes some people have a hard time delivering bad news. You know, it's, it's like the person who, let's just use Mark as an example. Let's say Mark has somebody who says, Mark, I, I want you to mentor me and, and I want you to help me with my singing. And Mark listens to them and, you know, they're just not that good. I mean, they're good in the shower. And they're good in the car when the radio's turned up to 95 dB. And their mama thinks they're great and they should be singing on television. But everybody else that hears them says they are not good. And we don't want to hear them again. Somebody has to be honest enough to say that. You know, sweetheart, son, I know you want to do that, but you're not good at it. God didn't gift you or call you to do that. You have to be able to affirm what they can do and confront what they don't do. Listen, it's about honesty. Most people think they're better at things than they really are. And you have to confront. It, It just, I always go back, and you've heard me tell this story of me sitting down in my early 30s telling Vance Havner all the great things I was doing for God. And that went over like a lead balloon. I mean, the hole that he punched in me was bigger than the iceberg in the, size of the, in the side of the Titanic. I mean, he just looked at me. He said, son, I've been old and I've been young and you've just been young. So why don't you be quiet and listen for a while? <laughs> you know, you have people that think, and this is why you need a mentor. You have people that think nothing significant ever happened before they were born. And they think they know it all. Guess what? None of us know it all. And part of mentoring is to say, hey, I hadn't figured it out. You hadn't figured it out. But I figured out a few things you haven't figured out. And so let me help you figure it out what you haven't figured out that you think you figured out. Because right now, you don't have a clue. And you're about to run off a cliff. And you don't even know it. So can you affirm and confront? Number six, do you walk your talk? Do you walk your talk? In other words, are you genuine? Is your faith genuine? Is, is what you're saying to them genuine? Are you just covering material? Or are you investing in them out of the overflow of what God has done in your life? Number seven, are you committed to intercession? Because you need to pray for the people that you invest in. Because they're going to go through battles, and they're going to go through trials, and they're going to go through some severe testing. And and you need to be committed to praying and interceding for them, because their battles are basically going to be spiritual. The enemy is not going to want them to grow and to develop and to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so if you're trying to get them there, you're going to be in a battle, and they're going to be in a battle. Next question. Are you emotionally secure? Are you emotionally secure? Now, here why, this is why this one is important. You can't mentor someone so that it makes you feel better about yourself. Amen. That develops an unhealthy relationship. It can develop 
a codependency relationship. You don't invest in somebody because, man, I feel better about myself because I'm doing this. That's, that's not the purpose of mentoring. The purpose of mentoring is not to feel better about yourself. It's to obey God's command that we invest and teach the next generation. And so I, I would caution you, if you're trying to meet an emotional need of thinking that you're something when you're not, or trying to have somebody tell you that you're great when you know it's not there, but it makes you feel better about yourself, that's not the right reason to mentor. And by the way, it's also not the right reason to ask somebody to mentor you so that you feel emotionally better about yourself. Purpose of mentoring is to develop your character, not your feelings. All right? Number nine, will you make the time? Will you make the time? It takes time to do this. And number 10, are you willing to let them go? Are you willing to let them go? In other words, are you willing to say, you know what? I've invested in you enough. You need to go and find somebody else and invest in them. And I need to find somebody new to invest in. You know, six months, a year down the road, whatever. Are you willing to let them go? Uh, are you, or have you become so cloistered in that mentoring relationship that, that you can't get out of your comfort zone enough to say, you know, I want to take on somebody new. I, I want to invest in somebody new. I want to invest in a new person. I think this person's ready to start investing in someone else. Are you willing to let them go? Paul was willing to let Timothy go. He knew he needed to pass the baton. The time was coming and he did it. So let's look at the last thing, experiencing the joy of being mentored. I learned something. Here's what I learned. I never learn when I'm talking. Did you know you never learn anything when you're talking? You learn when you're listening. I never learn when I'm talking. That's why I, I listen to other preachers and other teachers because I need to learn from others. I'm not the beginning and end of all things and of all knowledge and I need to learn and by God's grace somehow before discipleship ever became a word that we were familiar with my youth minister took time to teach me to let me sit in his office and ask him questions to take me in the car with him when he was going somewhere and invested in me and poured into me and challenged me and stretched me. And the men that have done that in my life have always had some common characteristics. One is they've always been older than me, uh, sometimes significantly older than me. Vance Havner was 60 years older than me almost. He was 50 years older than me. Uh, Ron Dunn was about 15 to 20 years older than me. Warren Wiersbe is 24 years older than me. And when those men pour into my life and when they ask me hard questions and when they confront me and challenge me, you know, when I make a phone call and one of them says to me, which has happened repeatedly in my ministry, what are you preaching on Sunday? Well, this is what I'm preaching on. What are your points? Well, 
Here are my points. I think your second one's a little weak. You might want to look at that text again. You might want to consider this as you're thinking about that. They are investing in me and pouring into me. One of the joys that I miss from being in youth ministry was the ability to do discipleship and to do some one-on-one mentoring with some young people. Because I, I found in working with young people that they didn't have all the facades and layers that we put on. You know, every year of college, we put a layer on. And every year of marriage, we put another layer on. And it's like peeling an onion. To get, the, to get those layers peeled off, there's a lot of crying. There's a lot of consternation. There's a lot of pain. And somebody's got to cut. <laughs> and the older we get, the more layers we get on. And one of the reasons why we ought to invest in the younger generation is simply this. They don't have all the baggage some of us have. They're more open. They're more teachable. They're more ready. They're more pliable. Their Play-Doh hasn't had the lid off so long that it's as hard as a brick and can't be moved. And so we invest in others. Here's a letter I got from... Now, a lot of mine is with guys in ministry. Because I'm concerned, Junior Hill and I had dinner Tuesday night, and I'm concerned about what's happening with ministry in the next generation, the one behind that. And I see some bright spots, but I also see things that concern me, where people are walking away from preaching the Word without apology, and they're walking away from an understanding of our need for the Holy Spirit. And so... I'm trying to pour into some guys so that they can carry the mantle somewhere down the road. This is a letter I have in my files. This, this one was written to me in 1995. I would like to ask you to consider becoming my mentor in ministry. You know much better than I what all that entails, but I'm willing to make a lasting commitment and any sacrifices that need to be made to meet the needs of such a relationship. This is another one. There are some areas where I either need guidance or affirmation. In pastoral leadership, how do I motivate lone rangers? How do I stay fresh? How do I plan my preaching? How do I get people to take responsibility? How do I take time for myself without feeling guilty? How do I differentiate between real responsibilities and imposed responsibilities? How do we move from the 1950s mindset to a 21st century mindset for ministry? This may be the best question I was ever asked. It certainly challenged me. This was a statement from another person. How do I get to where you are? And will you take me with you when you go? So I want to close by reading out of a little book called You're Born an Original, Don't Die a Copy. The chapter is entitled, You Were Created for Connection. God did not write solo parts for us. He has divine connections for you, the right friends and the right associations. It is very important who we closely associate with. Have you ever known a backslider who didn't first hang around with the wrong kind of people? The devil doesn't use strangers to deter or stop you. 
These wrong associations bring out the worst in you, not the best. After you're around them, you'll find yourself full of doubt, fear, confusion, and criticism. As you grow in God, your associations will change. Some of your friends will not want you to go on. They will want you to stay where they are. Friends who don't help you climb will want you to crawl. Your friends will stretch your vision or choke your dream. Never let anyone talk you out of pursuing a God-given idea. Don't let someone else create your world for you, for when they do, they will always make it too small. Who's creating your world? Never receive counsel from unproductive people. Never discuss your problems with someone incapable of contributing to the solution. Those who never succeed themselves are always the first to tell you how. Not everyone has a right to speak into your life. You are certain to get the worst of the bargain when you exchange ideas with the wrong person. Don't follow anyone who's not going anywhere. We are to follow no person further than he or she follows Jesus. When God gets ready to bless you, he brings a person into your life. Respect those whom God has connected to you to help you. God cares for people through people. With some people, you spend an evening. With others, you invest it. Be careful where you stop to inquire for directions along the road of life. Wise is the man who fortifies his life with the right friendships. You become like the people you closely associate with. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed? I want to ask you some simple questions. Who has God brought to your mind that you need to invest in? What has God said to you about things you need to do so you can invest in others? What are you going to do about this series? How are you going to change? How are you going to redirect your calendar so that you can invest or be invested in? How are you going to allow someone to mark your life and to mold you and to shape you more and more into the image of Christ? How are you going to position yourself to impact the next generation and to leave a legacy? It begins with you. Then it moves to your closest circle, your family, your closest friends. And then it goes out from there. Some of you need to teach that are not teaching. Some of you need to lead that are not leading. Some of you need to bring someone under your arms and say, hey, let me walk with you in this. Let me help you with this. Let me show you how. Not as an apprentice of how to do a job, but someone who mentors someone so that they know how to have character and integrity, so that they live a God-honoring kind of life. That takes time. And the greatest way to spell the word love 
is T-I-M-E. What do you need to do about that today? Maybe you're here today and you didn't respond earlier to the invitation to come to Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you're looking for a church home. Maybe you're here today and just you realize that that young boy or that young girl standing by you or your young person that's seated over here toward the front really needs you to be a loving mentor. They, they need you to invest in them more than just a little conversation here or there. But they really need your time. They need your face. They don't need you at an arm's length distance. They need you very up close and very personal. It's never too late to start. You begin where you are and you move forward because you can make a life changing difference in the heart and the mind of another person. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.